1: What up, everybody? Buongiorno, buenos dias, ni ha, konnichiwa, bitches. Welcome, one and all, to Avocado Cafe Podcast. I am your host, Jason Almi, and I want to express my sincerest gratitude for you turning on this podcast today. I love that you love Orange Road. I really love that you listen to this podcast, and I hope you enjoy it. Today, I'm going to be analyzing Kimagure Orange Road TV episode 20, Shikaru Witnesses, The camp is full of danger. I used to think they meant like bears or something. You know, don't go out in the woods by yourself because they got grizzlies, Kodiak, whatever. They're giant. They're huge. They can swat you to death with one strike. And they get tired of eating salmon. Sometimes they want to eat a Casaga or something. But they're talking about a different kind of danger in this episode, and we're going to get into that. This episode originally aired on August 17, 1987. It was directed by... Matsuzono Hiroshi, who is back after having directed episode five, which is the problematic part-time job episode, as well as episode 10, the foreboding dream of Shikaru-chan dying, and episode 14, which was the foreboding dream of Kasaga and Ayukua breaking up on Tanabata. So this is Matsuzono's fourth episode, and the previous two, because they were so heavily involved in the foreboding dream power element, leaned heavily on Koska's uh, ESP power. However, in today's episode, we don't get as much of that. I think it's a stronger episode for leaning away from the power a little bit. There is, of course, some power usage in this episode, and in some ways, it's really quite pivotal to the conflict that Koska faces today, but the power certainly gets used, but it's not a really huge part of this episode. It doesn't become the foundation of this episode in the way that Kosuga's foreboding dreams did in Matsuzono's previously directed episodes. This is more of a return to the type of direction Matsuzono did with episode five, where it was much more focused on Kasuga's interpersonal relationships. In episode five, it was with Ayukawa, but here it's going to be more focused on Kasuga's relationship with Shikaru. Today's episode was written by Tomita Tsukihiro. Tomita wrote episode four, which is a very Shikaru centric episode. That's the disturbing sea experience episode. Tomita also wrote. Episode seven, a uh, spark-colored kiss episode. That's the one where Kasuga tried to lay it on Ayuko after drinking two very weekly alcoholic beverages, but we all know Kasuga is a lightweight. Tomita wrote episode nine, Kurumi, I'll Teach You How to Date, which is really kind of a silly but fun episode. And episode 15, which is uh, Ayuko putting a period to the love triangle. She tries to give up on Kasuga for about five minutes. She tries to not talk to, to Kasuga, but... He breaks her down, he wears her down. Like episode 15, this is a very similar, I I see a lot of similarity between this episode, episode 20, and episode 15, because episode 15 also dealt very much with Shikaru's end of things. We don't often see things from Shikaru's perspective, certainly not as often as we see events through Kasuga's eyes and through Ayukawa's eyes. She's kind of the third rung on that uh, love triangle. I mean, there's a there's certainly a hierarchy to these characters and is our narrator. He gives us all of our voiceover and all of the stories are centered on him. Ayukawa is obviously our best girl, but Chicago gets maybe a little bit shorter shrift than the other two and episode 15 deals with her inner turmoil, her reaction to that and the conflict that this causes inside. She's got to, and we see a little bit more of that in this episode. So I would definitely view episode 20 as, as being a companion piece to episode 15. And you can see that Tomita is picking up on some of the threads from that episode. And again, it's a stronger episode for building on top of what came before. And you get to see this consistency in the writing here. This also marks the first episode where Orange Mystery is used as the opening music. I believe last week I made my opinions very clear on Orange Mystery. It's the best. It is the bop of Orange Road, and I love it. And This is another summer two-parter. This time it's at the tennis camp. They go from the beach to camp. I mean, what's more summerish than the beach? They asked themselves in the writer's room, and uh, I'm sure Tarada Kenji raised his hand and said, summer camp. What's more summery than summer camp? And so after rounds of arm wrestling, possibly even threats of violence, they all decided let's do a beach two-parter and then let's do a camp two-parter. Again, it's another loose two-parter. We have a character of the week, this time kind of a dastardly, rapacious villain. And at the tennis camp, it's an excuse to get the gang together. Here, it is a school-sponsored, voluntary tennis camp. And that allows for the twins to come along. That allows for Komatsu and Hata to be uh, written into the episode without any kind of contrivance, like how do we get these characters in? It's uh, it's a school-related function. They go to the school, bada-bing, bada-boom, they're in playing tennis. Although I will say Komatsu and Hata are not good for almost anything in this episode, many times their presence is justified by Uh, them pushing the narrative forward somehow. They exist to push the narrative forward as buffoons or as assholes, but they do something, and it's not always good, it's not always welcome, it's not always a nice thing, but they do something in order to spur events of the show along. So they have a use, they have a purpose, despite being uh, pretty much contemptible characters. Now, this episode opens with Kasuga reading poetry on the train, on his way to camp. As he's reading, he imagines the poet describing Ayukua. This is fairly standard for Kosiga at this point. It's gonna be standard for us to see Ayukua as a stand-in for whatever it is that Kasiga is uh, reading, dreaming, experiencing, whatever. It's not weird at all that that Kosiga was imagining her. She's the one he's always thinking about. We do, we do get pretty much the one good use of Komatsu and Hata here in this opening scene. As we're introduced to uh, our character of the week for this episode, again, he's a very uh, contemptible, despicable man, Kitakata-san. He begins as a very um, dashing, kind of dapper, beautiful smile, sparkling teeth, uh, wonderful hair, just everything, eyes, everything, just beautiful man. Limiting these characters, these characters of the week to a single episode is another indication of the era of, of filmmaking that this television series was, was was produced during. Filmmakers attempt to be forgiving of viewers who might miss a week. So if a character is here for a week and then gone and never mentioned again, if you happen to miss that episode, you won't be confused by references to previous events that occurred in an episode that you didn't see anyway. Because again, this is 1987. I don't think anybody had a DVR back then. I don't think there was any DV to R back then. So when... Television shows would go into syndication. Stations that are syndicating the program can shuffle the episodes around. They can air them in whatever order suits them. So you didn't have to be present for every single episode to understand the next episode in line. You can you could essentially skip episodes. Not that we would ever do that with our beloved Orange Road, but at the time... If you don't have a v- VCR, if you forget to set your VCR, or if you don't have somebody kind enough to hit record on the thing for you, you kind of missed the episode. You had to hope that they would rebroadcast it at some point in time. Nowadays, we don't, we don't live with that. And we can accept television programming that is much more continuous from episode to episode and relies on us to having seen the previous episode. Here, Orange Road, we don't have to. We're not going to have to. Uh, Kitakata-san is never going to appear again. But he's handsome, like I said, and he's he's older, so he's going to seem sophisticated and popular. He's also, like, he's got this weird obsession with beauty, like every second sentence. If he doesn't say beautiful or describe something as beautiful or beauty of something or other, I think his head's going to explode, like um, Escape from New York or something. He's got one of those devices in his head, like Snake Plissken. And if he doesn't say the word beauty or beautiful, somebody watching from afar with the sunglasses on is just, you know, going to pop his head off or something. I don't know why the guy's got to work it into everything he says, but that's kind of his character. He's very superficial. He's concerned with these exterior appearances of beauty, and he doesn't really care to get to know people, to experience their finer personal qualities, which we would all agree makes him very, very shallow. It also makes him a natural foil and threat to Casaga. You'll remember that Casaga is always concerned about his relative maturity gap with Ayukawa. We also know that Kasuga is not a handsome dashing character in the way that Kitakata-san is. So Kasuga will have to deal with his juxtaposition to Kitakata-san as a threat to him for either the affections of Ayukawa or Shikaru, maybe both. And he he checks the boxes that Kasuga doesn't, and Kasuga is aware that he doesn't check those boxes. This is a perfect foil to Kasuga, and we're going to learn more about their nature as well, or we're going to learn more about Kitakata's nature and how it compares to Kasuga as well throughout the course of the episode. And we get the great Komatsu and Hata visual gag right here. This is when Komatsu and Hata see how the girls respond to Kitakata-san, uh, their chocolate bars like break and and hang there as Komatsu and Hata drop their heads. So it's like the, the chocolate bar droops and then ha- Komatsu and Hata droop their heads and it's a visual gag. So it's as if the the snacks are also disappointed. These snacks were gonna be shared with the girls. They, Komatsu and Hata got all these snacks thinking, we'll share them with the girls and be popular with them. But they go flocking to Kitakata-san, and and the girls don't care. And so the chocolate goes, and then their heads go, and it may also be a metaphor for their impotence in the face of Kitakata's popularity. How could they possibly compare to this guy? And there's no way that the girls are going to give them a time of day. They can't compare. They were so excited before, but once they see how the girls flock to Kitakata-san, Komatsu and Hata droop. The wind has been let out of Hata's balloon, so to speak. They go limp. They're flaccid. It's a metaphor for their sexual virility. They're ready to tackle anything that passes in front of them at this camp. This camp is like they're thinking it's going to be this sexual buffet. It's going to be some kind of Roman orgy for them. They're so pumped up, and then they, they learn, nope, that ain't how it's going to be. And then whew, get those boys some blue chew. After a few episodes off, we, we also get an Umao and Ushko-san appearance here in this episode. And here they appear only in a cutaway. So we cut away from the, the tennis action going on. Uh, they don't interact with any other characters. Their appearance here is, as I've mentioned before, strictly for the viewer. And it's just a, a gag for us to wonder when or even if they're going to show up. And when they do, is it humorous? And this one... I don't know. I give this one maybe two stars, two and a half stars. Just kind of catches a tennis ball, and then Umao, I guess his his virility is so the opposite of Komatsu and Hata's that he can crush a, a tennis ball in his hand. He he, f- he makes the tennis ball explode in his hand, and so Ushko Ishko is in for a really big treat. I think this week, Kasaga in his voiceover, he gives a little bit of exposition to explain why Kitakata is there as a college student. I personally thought it was a little weird, maybe a bad idea for a bunch of 19 and 20 and 21-year-old college students to go to camp with a whole bunch of 15 year olds, 14 year olds. I don't know. I mean, we even see some of that play out a little bit, but I feel like the age the age difference is a little bit big here. And I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work. And I, I don't think that we see that it works. I think we see that it doesn't work. Komatsu and Hata are predictably terrible at tennis. One would also expect Kasuga to be pretty bad at tennis. But Kurumi's use of the power here gets him admitted to the upper echelon, the, the class A of tennis players there at the camp. And now he's in over his head. He's out of his depth. Uh, he can't compete. And his his concern here at the early part of the episode is that he's going to be completely outclassed and thereby uh, totally embarrassed but he does get to practice with Ayukua. She's in in Class A as well. So it's in part working in his favor in that it gets him into tennis practice with Ayuko, whom he would rather be spending time with. Ayukua appears as a vision to Kausuga in her all-white tennis outfit. Somebody needs to tell her this is a form of exercise. It's not a wedding. You can You can have a stripe or a pattern or something in there, too. You can have a few colors on there. I mean, it's not... It's not like a traditional ceremony. You can wear something besides white. And also, Kasuga gets, like, right on. I mean, usually they simulate Kasuga's gaze by showing Kasuga's face, and maybe he's looking up or down, and his eyes are wide, and then they'll cut to parts of various parts of Ayukua's body, or they'll pan up or down Ayukua's body, and that will communicate that Kasuga is noticing her physicality. However, in this episode... For some reason, there's a shot of him getting his eyeball three centimeters from the tip of her titty. I don't know why he put his whole eyeball on her boob, but they really had to spell it out for us here with this shot that he is like sniffing distance from from her boob. And that seems a little close to me to be able to play off as like, oh, no, I wasn't gawking at your breasts. So it's a little over the top here in this moment. Ayukawa notices him noticing her. One would notice when another human being puts their eyeball about an inch away from your nipple. She makes a small comment about her attire, along the lines of uh, "Do you think it's not me?" As if like now she's uh, self conscious about how she looks. The goddess is self conscious about how she looks because the doofus uh, was was drooling over her. I don't. I don't think. I think she understands that he appreciated it, but I think she wanted Kasuga to notice. I don't think Ayukua so much wants to be lusted after by Kasuga, but I think she wants him to notice and appreciate her, her looks, and uh, maybe her in a more general sense and less like a specifically sexual sense. Like at the end of episode 13, when she says that nobody calls her cute. Or in episode 17... She wanted to do the fireworks with him that evening because she wanted him to see her in her yukata. And so it makes sense that this is a teenage girl. She's got a crush on a guy. She doesn't want to make things too lewd or disgusting, but she does want him to appreciate her. And so there's a little bit of effort on her part for Kasuga's benefit, and I think it shows here too. Ayukua and Kasuga have this awkward turn away from each other when they hear Shikaru approaching, and that is also kind of setting the stage for this episode. Their closeness is going to be a big conflict for Shikaru, who it's not lost on her this week, that Ayukua and Kasuga, they kind of got something going on. They definitely don't hate each other. We're kind of at that point in the show where they both tend to kind of hastily act as if nothing was happening as soon as Shikaru appears. They kind of jump away from each other, turn, and you can see them blush. I think this tactic really begins in earnest after episode 15, which was the episode in which Ayukua felt guilty about Kasuga liking her and having a relationship with Kasuga. So she tried to not talk to him for like five minutes. And here in this episode, Ayukua sort of comes to Kasuga's defense about getting into the higher tennis class. Shikaru notices that Ayuko defended him a little bit. So Shikaru's initial response, initial reaction is that Kasuga did the wrong thing by getting himself into the upper class, and that she thought that he would be in the same class as her, so that they could spend their days together. And then, when she notices Ayukawa defends him, comes to his defense a bit. Now she's thinking maybe Kasuga bullshitted me about the class thing, maybe he did mean to get into class A so that he could be with Ayukawa, and maybe they're leaving me behind in class C. This is Shikarachan's insecurity here. So it's really this incident, not, not his being placed into class A and having to face Kitakata-san in tennis never happens, actually. That, that thread goes nowhere. He never winds up having to play against Kitakata-san. But, but the real conflict comes from Shikaru noticing this closeness between Ayuko and Kosuga, and it tees up Kosuga's conflict, his real conflict for the episode. They have a, a beautiful campfire planned for that evening. I don't know what makes a campfire beautiful besides Kitakata-san being the one to describe it. And here I thought it was interesting that Kitakata-san assigned tasks very much in keeping with traditional gender roles. So Kitakata is already reinforcing this old patriarchal roles and expectations that I've discussed in previous episodes. It's kind of the wrong side of things here. This is a show aimed at young people we're, we're we're picking up on the side of youth here. Kitakata is not on the right side of things. He's expecting boys to gather firewood, girls are expected to do the cooking. That's especially egregious that he expects the women to stay behind and 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 make the curry and and um that the roles should be divided like that versus volunteering. I'd much rather cook curry than than uh, gather firewood personally, but it also shows us that Kitakata is not cool. He's not one of the good characters he's a bad guy and we we see that in his reinforcement of these traditional patriarchal old ways where this episode really got interesting for me kitakata's interaction with kosago while koska's collecting firewood that whole thing really teed up a thread that i thought that they were going to follow and it just fizzled right here but Kitakata is kind of doing his everything, his beautiful routine with Kasuga while talking to him, kind of leaned up against a tree. He's He's got his like charm on already. You can tell that Kitakata is trying to work his charm a little bit here with Kasuga. He's showing an interest in Kasuga that always seemed to me like a sexual interest, like a sexual overture, like he's coming on to Kasuga. He puts his hand on Kasuga's shoulder, which connotes a, a certain degree of affection and intimacy, right? You don't put your hand on the shoulder of a stranger. That's an odd thing to do, to half embrace someone you just met. That's something you do with a a very close friend, a family member, someone who you know is going to be okay with you touching them, right? That's why we don't touch strangers, or we shouldn't at least, because you don't know if that stranger wants your hand on them. But he puts a flower in Kasuga's breast pocket as well after sniffing it, so I'm just thinking, wow, this whole dashing lady killer thing is a facade. Just like Yusaku, he's after Kasuga. He's going to give Yusaku a little bit of competition. The animators even show Kasuga's face. They animate Kasuga's face as bewildered. He's taken aback. He doesn't know what's happening during this conversation. And it could be that he's intimidated right now at the prospect of having to play tennis against Kitakata, who is extremely athletically gifted with tennis, or it could be that he is not expecting Kitakata to actually pursue him sexually, that that's he was not prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for that. And I thought, what an interesting direction for this character of the week to take. But they don't wind up going there at all. That's That's not the way that it's going to be, even though I thought that the The thread was very interesting. I'm not sure if this interaction was meant to intimidate Kasuga because he sees Kasuga as a threat given how close and chummy Kasuga is with Shikaru and Ayukua who we're going to realize that Kitakata has his eye on but it seemed more like an overture to me than intimidation. We get Breaking Heart as a diegetic insert song here. The kids are dancing to the boombox around the fire. And so I mentioned it. It's an excuse to play it again on this podcast. Honestly, I dig the song. And uh, it's important as a piece of diegetic music. Much of the music in this show is non-diegetic. When the characters are in the forest and there's some uh, instrumental background music playing, they can't hear it. The trees aren't playing music. But... Here, they make a point of animating the boom box and there's a signal coming out of the boom box and there's music and everyone's dancing, which means the characters do hear this song here. So it's kind of a piece of trivia, I guess, but this is a diegetic insert song. Unlike uh, episode 11, Don't Ring the Wedding Bells, when we see Kasuga tearing through the streets and we get an insert song. Can't interrupt this. And that song is non-diegetic. Song here? everybody can hear and everybody can enjoy. This is Breaking Heart. Google that if you want to check it out on uh, on the YouTube or wherever. Now, Kasuga never does wind up meeting Shikaru for dinner. We even see Kasuga moping around the campfire, I guess as this song is going on, but for some reason, he doesn't want to meet up with her, I guess. There's a point in time at which Costco would probably be better served to make some kind of decision about Shikaru. His general negligence of her causes problems during this episode, just as it did in episode 15. When he neglects Shikaru, that's when things get bad for her. I mean, she notices his neglect. He persists in blowing smoke up her ass to try to keep things cool with her, as if they're going to maintain this facade of dating. And he keeps her around, I don't understand why he's doing that at this point. I guess this episode is really about the dynamic between Kasuga and Shikaru. I mean, Ayukawa plays an important role too; she's a main character. But this is not this episode is not so focused on Kasuga with Ayukawa and their pairing. So it it doesn't really feel like Kasuga and even Ayukawa during much of this episode are really thinking things through their relationship with each other and their relationship with shikaru and how shikaru is going to feel about the triangle dynamic because she seems less aware of it throughout the television series than either kasuga or ayukua who are both very aware of the the love triangle that's happening most of the time shikaru seems oblivious to it and so kasuga not ever meeting shikaru for dinner after telling her he would it means she's going to come looking for you. And you can expect that when she does find you in the woods, practicing your stroke with Ayukawa, there's going to be a problem. And so this episode, as with episode 15, feels like so much damage control that Koska trying to do to keep things on their status quo with Shikaru when maybe he shouldn't be doing the damage control, like let the damage be done. Let's let, in this episode, Shikaru is the one who's about to pull the bandaid. She's about to end things for Kasuga in this episode. It it might have been much better played by him to just let her go her own way. And then he's a free man. He can start dating Ayukawa shortly thereafter. But it can't be that way because we've got 28 episodes left after this one plus some OVA and stuff. So we got to keep things going. We know Kasuga is going to do his damage control. I like that Kasuga signed up for a tennis camp so that he can go out into the woods and practice tennis in secret. Like, like, it's shameful to practice tennis at the camp where everyone practices tennis. You would think that he could do the thing that the camp exists for without having to hide it. I mean, they're all there to do tennis. They're not going to judge you too much just because you suck at it. So I think it's interesting that Ayukuwa finds Kasuga first. That means that she must have been looking for him specifically also. It wasn't just Shikaru looking for Kasuga. Ayukuwa came searching for him too. And I wonder... Does her attempt at coaching him come from a place of pity? Does she feel bad for him because he's so terrible? Or does Ayukua see an opportunity for physical contact? She certainly takes it there when she starts helping coach his swing. As in episode 16, Kasuga is aware of Ayuko's breasts touching him. In episode 16, he was, of course, aware of Shikaru as, as Shikaru gripped Kasuga's arm and and leaned in very close to Kasuga. He was aware of her body touching his. Here he is. A, he's a fifteen year old boy. Again, what fifteen year old boy is not going to be aware of some boobies touching him? That's just how it is for fifteen year old boys when they're into women. I actually kind of think that Ayuka is using this as an opportunity for physical contact with Kasuga. Both Ayukawa and Kosuga are blushing just before Shikaru finds them. So they're they're clearly enjoying their proximity. Then, of course, when Shikaru catches them, they have to try to sell it by playing it straight. And Ayukawa takes on this more instructor's presence to try and sell this thing. She's like, each knee, each knee. And so she's counting and kind of running them through this more mechanical process where before Shikaru got there, it was not mechanical at all. I mean, whatever they were practicing, it was an art. And it wasn't regimented and stilted in the way Ayukua makes it appear once she knows Shikaru is watching. So this is the Shikaru witnesses part. This is the thing that she witnessed. And the last shot of this scene is significant. We see a close-up of Shikaru's face for her reaction. It's somewhat obvious here that the gears in her head are turning. She's not entirely buying the shit that Ayukua and Kasuga are selling. And if we view this as a follow up to episode fifteen, I think the material here helps build a case for Shikaru not having let go of her previous anxieties about Kasuga liking someone else, and and here is where it dawns on her that it's Ayukawa that he likes. That he doesn't just like someone else; he likes her best friend. Shikaru avoids conflict with Ayukawa later that evening by pretending to be asleep. It's consistent with her characterization in Anohi that she knew all along, but she pretended not to know. So she avoids this particular conflict. I don't believe that Shikaru is a chronic conflict avoider because she does address things very openly and directly with Kasuga in episode 15, that she thinks that he's got his eye on someone else and she brings it right to him by the end of that episode. So I don't believe that it's a chronic issue for her to completely ignore problems in her life and conflict. I I don't believe that, because I I do believe she'll address them. But here she does decide to avoid the conflict. So just like last week, when they were stranded on a deserted island just off the coast of Japan, Kasuga spends most of his time with Ayukawa here in this episode. However, unlike that episode... This episode is a really great next episode from, from episode 19 because this episode isn't about how well Ayukua and Kasuga pair as a couple. I mentioned that a moment ago. We all know that Kasuga and Ayukua pair like wine and cheese, like peanut butter and jelly, like Ritz crackers and aerosol canisters full of cheese-flavored chemicals. But this episode is about the ripple effect of their pairing. Pair so well that it has these effects on other people in their life. I mean, obviously, how could it not? This is an important relationship. So chiefly, it's about how them becoming closer, by necessity, pushes Shikaru out. It sidelines her. It marginalizes her from the triangle. Even as Kasuga enjoys practicing tennis with Ayukawa, he notices, and he mentions in his voiceover, that, that Shikaru seems sad. She has a sad look in her eyes. Then, immediately thereafter, we see tight shots of Ayukawa signifying Kosuga's gaze as he notices her breasts, her hips. He even notices her panties. That is right upon noticing Shikaru's sadness. It's as if to say his attraction to Ayukawa is undeniable. It's inevitable. He feels bad that Shikaru is sad. He feels bad that it's going to hurt Shikaru, but he really can't stop his attraction to Ayukawa. Nothing he can do about that. But his temporary distraction by Yuku's body does serve a narrative purpose. He was too distracted to notice when Shikaru left the tennis court. Only then does he actually go after her. But again, by now, he's just doing damage control. He lets things get about as bad as he can, and then he goes after her. Now, Kitakata, he's really trying to be a lady killer here. Maybe literally. He gets Shikaru to jump out into the lake, and she's going to drown I didn't mean that literally, but maybe maybe he's a figurative lady killer and a, a, almost becomes a literal lady killer as well. He admires Shikaru's looks, but even here, he's subconsciously making her feel like she's not quite good enough. Yet, for instance, Kitakata tells her that she'll be beautiful in the future when she gets to senior high school, that she will be beautiful. And it doesn't really have much to do with her state now. It's about where she's going to be in a couple of years This calls back to her original insecurities as expressed in episode 13, that's her transformation episode, in which she made a concerted effort to uh, to appear older, more sophisticated, more sexy, telling her that she will be beautiful when she's older and more mature seems to reinforce those insecurities. Kitakata seems like he's from the school of don't take no for an answer, right? I mean, maybe he's uh, doing sales and marketing in college. Because this guy's not taking no for an answer when he really should. Shikaru initially does not want to go out on the lake with Kitakata. She's like gripping the pier. But when she hears Kasuga calling for her as he's looking for her, we cut immediately to her out on the lake. This is a very effective use of what is a pretty simple editing technique here, but very effective. Like as soon as she hears Kasuga, oh, okay, we can go on the lake. But it also provides Kitakata an opportunity to attempt to assault Shikaru, as as he does. It's really right here that Kitakata becomes quite despicable. He's not unlike Komatsu and Hata once you get past his much better looks. He's way too rapey. Granted, even a tiny bit rapey is too rapey. And he's a moron. He throws the oar at Shikaru instead of reaching to her with it. It's... Reach, throw, row, go, bro. That's how it's done, okay? If someone's drowning, remember, reach, throw, row, go. And that's the hierarchy of how you're supposed to save somebody when they're drowning in terms of safety for the rescuer. He's inept. He can't swim despite being this superior tennis athlete. This guy takes pride in his athletic ability, and yet he can't even do like a little dog paddle to save Shikaru. Ridiculous. Kasuga says nothing. He simply acts. He goes straight to Shikaru's rescue. And in that way, the initial comparison between Kasuga and Kitakata seemed to go in Kitakata's favor, that he had the looks, he had the charm. that Kasuga doesn't. He's got the air of maturity that Kasuga doesn't. And yet, when the rubber meets the road and Shikaru-chan needs saving, Kitakata is worthless. And Kasuga jumps right in, saves Shikaru when it needs to be done. In my opinion, he busts Shikaru's chops a little too soon about being a burden. She really wasn't ready for him to call her a troublemaker and and act that way, like she's so burdensome. That was not what she needed to be hit with in that moment. And Ayuko witnesses everything. She witnesses all of these events unfold. She sees Kitakata's cowardice and ineptitude, and she sees... Kasuga saved the day and really step up where Kitakata was worthless. Somehow, Kitakata has the temerity to look Shikaru-chan in the eyes again so soon after being such a useless turd while she was drowning. And still, the man has no shame. He is able to invite her out for the evening or somehow make plans with her. And that really shows us that Shikaru is capable of getting fed up with Kasuga. She perceives when she's being mistreated, she can feel that he's not that into her. This episode, as well as episode 15, show us that Kasuga's neglect of Shikaru is the biggest wedge that could drive Shikaru away and out of that relationship. Shikaru does have a standard. I mean, for all the times he's left her on the roof of the school, gazing at the sun, probably blinding herself, looking for a UFO that he pointed at so that he could go catch up with Ayukua, she does notice this shit. And a lot of episodes we don't see her noticing. But in this episode, as in episode 15, we see that she notices this stuff. She might choose to avoid conflict at times. She kicks the can down the road sometimes, but she's noticing these things. Kitakata reveals that he was playing both ends against the middle. He was pretending to be interested in Shikaru in order to get Ayukawa alone as their cabin mates. He gets Shikaru out of the cabin to go ostensibly meet him for a date that evening in order to get Ayukawa alone, and now he can make his move. It really kind of struck me that that Kitakata and Kasuga, as foils for each other in this episode, have a similarity as well. They both try to juggle the women. Like Kitakata, Kasuga prioritizes his pursuit of Ayukuwa because he prefers her to Shikaru, Uh, but he does try to do damage control whenever necessary. Unlike Kitakata, Kasuga seems less manipulative. Kasuga is just more inept at relationships. Kitakata seems to be purposefully manipulating Shikaru, where Kasuga is just acting in an ill-advised manner and trying to preserve her feelings and acting out of empathy versus uh, Kitakata seems to be acting out of malice. Uh, Therefore, Kitakata is not a sympathetic character at all, as I said, despicable, where Kasuga is a sympathetic character, and I think this is another episode that is a good one for Kasuga's character. True, he's neglectful of Shikaru, True, he prioritizes his time and relationship with Ayukawa over Shikaru. But still, he's not going to stand there like a goof and watch her drown like Kitakata was prepared to do. And so is not dashing. He's not not handsome. He's not uh, especially charming. He has his charms, no doubt, particularly when he's pretending to be Yusaku and doing a Yusaku impression. But even still... Kasuga's more reliable. He's a guy you can count on because he's going to dive into the water to save your ass if you're drowning. He winds up being more of a man than Kitakata. Kitakata gets his ass kicked by Ayukawa, and, and he gets the one advantage that he has taken away from, stripped of him. By the end of the episode, he's missing a few teeth. He's looking very battered. His eye is bruised. His His face is red from getting hit and beat up. And so without his looks... He's really no better than Komatsu or Hata. He's just this douchey, would-be sexual assailant uh, who really doesn't have a place in this series anymore. Interestingly, Shikaru actually went off to see Kasaga, maybe before she was going to meet up with Kitakata or maybe instead of meeting up with Kitakata. And we, we, as the audience just presumed, that she was going to meet up with Kitakata and that's why she was leaving the cabin shikaru questions ayuko before going she asks about the dance she asks if ayuko is going and the question seems pointed in hindsight as if she went by koska's cabin to verify what ayuko said that that he was really sleeping maybe she suspected that that koska and ayuko were going to meet up and and so shikaru had to confirm that koska was there is of course exhausted from rescuing Shikaru and overusing his power. We saw in the last episode that overuse of the power, he completely passes out. So he's he's out. He doesn't even notice when Shikaru goes to strangle him. And she goes in for it right there. She's about to wrap those hands around his neck there. Maybe comedically, like in his dream, he, he dreams that Shikaru is strangling him, but it's a it's sort of a comedic image of, of her um, not necessarily wrapping her hands around his throat, but, but grasping him very firmly by the collar, which is a little bit less lethal. So maybe she was going in for a comedic strangle. I mean, sometimes you just got to comedically strangle the person that you're uh, in love with every now and again when they're super annoying. And Shikaru clearly subscribes to that particular notion. I don't know, it seemed like an interesting addition to Shikaru's character here. I consider Shikaru's attitude towards the Koskas prior to about the middle of episode two when she sees Koska land that miraculous basket that he makes across the gymnasium. And then you also consider that she's really pretty violent with Yusaku. I mean, she's really very physical with him. She strikes him. She hits him. She's He, he cowers for her. I mean, he, he, he feeds into it a little bit, but I mean, she surely uh, brings the violence to that. Uh, That relationship. She's got zero patience for Yusaku. And it really seems that Shikaru can be kind of brutish towards others when the emotions strike her. So it's an emotional response. It's not calculated. Kasuga saying her name while he was having a nightmare about Shikaru is enough to kind of snap her out of it and shift her emotions back to feeling sympathetic towards Kasuga. So, very interesting episode for for taking a closer look at Shikaru's character and um a unique episode there's really only a few that that dig deep into the Shikaru character and uh, paint her in a more a uh, three-dimensional light and and uh, shine a light on some other aspects of what she's got going on and it's it was a really fantastic episode again we're going to look for more scenes throughout the rest of the series of when she's alone when she's by herself because I think that's where we're really going to get a good judge of her character. Less so when she's bouncing off of people, she's going to be responding to social situations and, and interpersonal relationships. But when we see her alone, as we do briefly in episode uh, 10, for instance, we see her alone, I think that's when you're going to get her true character. But remember, she can be a brute and she's going to come after you. just like I'm going to come after you. If you don't subscribe to this show, leave me a rating or review. If you're listening on uh, Apple podcasts or iTunes, I very much appreciate you tuning in. I thank you kindly from the bottom of my heart. And I encourage you to please go check out patreon.com slash team That's the Patreon for team Almy studios, the studio that brings you this fine podcast and a few others. I'd like to recommend that you please also listen to Shit happens when you party naked. When you subscribe to the Patreon, you'll get full, complete access to that Patreon-exclusive podcast. You'll also get some cool merch. I send merch to all tiers of the Patreon. Everybody gets something from me. Also, we've got some really great Orange Road-themed bonus content coming soon. The next one is going to be a watch along, view along of Shinkor. I've never seen Shinkor before. I don't know how I've managed to escape Shinkor for 25 years, but I have, and I'm going to rectify that. And all of my patrons on patreon.com slash will have the opportunity to watch along, see me as I pop my Shinkor cherry. What will my reactions be? Am I going to love it? Am I going to hate it? If you're a patron, you can come check it out. Also check out Creatures of the Night, that is yet another one of my podcasts that i make with a pair of my partners from the inner circle podcast network you can check us out at innercirclepn.com and i'll leave a link for creatures of the night in the show notes it is a funky weird paranormal conspiracy theory podcast don't worry we don't get political we're not into the qanon shit mostly just aliens bigfoot yeti's funky stuff dmt doing mushrooms on the on the beach nothing nothing harmful right just good old fashioned Good times. That's it. That's all we're out for. Speaking of good times, here is a little bit of music that I'd like to leave you with. We've got a new ending theme. Of course, we have Sad Heart is Burning. I found an acoustic version of this song. This should be fun. <laughs>
0: Cheetah